your truth, Lord, and the truth of what your word teaches us and how much you desire for us to grow uh, in our grace before you, Lord. And so, Father, I just um, ask that your Holy Spirit would have free access as you lead us, as you direct us, as you guide us, um, as we are living in such dark days, Lord. Father, that we would take advantage of every tool that you have given to us, Lord. And so, Father, we just ask that you would speak to our heart as we look at fasting and as the ladies have studied fasting in their groups, Lord. Give us a a greater and a deeper understanding of what your word says about fasting. So we just praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Tonight, as we look and we consider the significance of prayer with fasting, um, I love that we have studied so many different avenues of prayer. And I don't think it would be complete unless we looked at fasting with praying with fasting. As a believer, you don't often hear about one another as we fast and we pray. And because God says we're to be very discreet about our fasting and our prayer, we're not to boast about it, we're not to tell others. So consequently, we don't ever know when each other is fasting and praying about a situation. In this lesson, we find David, a man after God's own heart, uh, which we will see was not without his faults. And I love that about God's people and God's um, people in God's word because, you know, they're not perfect people. David was not a perfect person, but he truly was a man after God's own heart. Um, David knew the value of coming to God in prayer and fasting. And we will look at David's fast, why he fasted, what was the result of his fasting. But before we get into David, we're going to look at actually what fasting is, what it is, why we fast, and what God's word says about fasting. But I will caution you, fasting is a discipline. As a believer, we have disciplines in our lives, spiritual practices such as prayer, meditation, Bible study, tithing, worship, and fasting. These are spiritual tools that God uses to transform you and I and bring about growth in our walk with God. Fasting is a spiritual tool for spiritual growth. Um, These disciplines don't accomplish the transformed life. God does. The reason we practice disciplines, it puts us in a position to unite with God internal and eternal works in our spirit and in our soul. And isn't that what we want? We want to continually be growing in our spirit with the Lord. Prayer and fasting and the other disciplines we just mentioned are the tools we need to grow in our faith. Faith is a matter of the heart. And you'll remember that the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So now let's look at what is fasting. When a believer fasts, it means that he or she is willing to forego the formal comforts and necessities of life in order to concentrate on prayer. Fasting is giving up something perfectly good and acceptable because you want more of God. It is a spiritual discipline with a practical act. The believer fasts not under any legal obligations, but under a heart's cry for God. God directs our fasts individually and in personal ways. Fasting like prayer must be God-initiated and God-ordained if it is to be effective. As we are led to pray, we understand prayer begins with God. He places upon us a burden by the Spirit. 
and we respond to that burden. Tonight we sing, we called and you answered. Isn't that what we're doing when we're praying and we're fasting? We're calling upon God and we want him to answer. Prayer that originates with God always returns to God. So it is with fasting. The amazing thing about fasting, as you fast, many times it becomes a wholehearted desire to know God and to seek him. Um, because above everything else, it's his will that we seek. And I love it because I don't care what you're involved in, what part of ministry. As you give yourself to God in whatever you're doing, whether it's teaching the children, whether it's whatever it is, whether it's bringing a meal to something, you're going with the intentions to do something for someone. And as you do, I don't know about you, but when I've gone to minister to somebody, and maybe I've gone to see a sister who's very, very ill. Maybe she's got cancer. Maybe she only has days. And as I go and I, and I pray and I seek the Lord, and as I go to minister, that person ends up ministering to me. I'm the one who's blessed. And so it is with fasting. As you go before the Lord and you're designed to fast and to intercede for something or some situation, You're the one who's going to be blessed. There are different types of fast. Um, There is a partial fast, which is liquids and certain foods only. Daniel partook of a a partial fast. In Daniel 10, verse 3, it says, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine uh, came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till Three whole weeks were fulfilled. So in in Daniel's partial fast, he had no pleasant food. He had no meat, no wine. He, He never anointed himself, and it was for three weeks. This was considered a partial fast. Another partial fast might be a a woman that I heard of who was fasting for a period of time for a certain situation that she was going to be involved in. And in her partial fast... um, She never ate breakfast or lunch, but she joined her family for dinner. And on the weekends, she ate with her family. So this was a partial fast. Another person I know would bow out of eating breakfast or lunch on certain days. She wouldn't have lunch or maybe it was breakfast, whatever she decided. And it was only for certain days. These are just a few examples of partial fasts. And this is as you go before the Lord. Lord, you show me. How do you want me to fast for this situation? And this would be what you call uh, a partial fast. There is also a 24-hour fast. The traditional biblical fast is 24 hours with no food and liquids only, starting from sundown until the next day, sundown. Um, It was customary for the Pharisees to fast twice a week. Some asked, would it be water that you drank? And as I researched this, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says it was only water. Some drank juices. Um, You could have coffee. Um, You could have Coke. Some people chose to have Diet Coke occasionally or broth. So that's entirely up to you as you go uh, for a 24-hour fast and with liquids only. Um, There is an absolute fast, which is uh, swallowing nothing at all. An absolute fast should not be done unless you've checked with your spouse or with your doctor. I uh, know a young lady where the doctor said, you cannot 
you absolutely cannot fast at all. So anytime you begin a fast, you need to check with your doctor and you need to check with your spouse. But an absolute fast should not be done unless checking at all with you. Make sure you check with your doctor. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses had an absolute fast. As he received the, uh, the covenant of, um, of God's word on the tablets, he fasted for 40 days with no liquids at all, no food and no liquids. And God said, after that fast, he says, you get down there. The children of Israel are committing sin. Remember that golden calf that they were worshiping? So Moses goes down, and he proceeds to fast another 40 days, another absolute fast, 40 days and 40 nights. So what began for Moses with a 40-day fast actually ended up in an 80-day fast. In any fast, you're not trying to set a record. Uh, that's our flesh. It's about grace. It's about pursuing God. We're submitting our hearts as fully to God as we possibly can. When we continue in a fast, in spite of our hunger, we prove to ourselves that we can obey God. Now, you may commit yourself to a fast. Maybe it's one day. Maybe it's several meals, What it is, whatever it is. And you're praying. And sometimes as you're praying and you're fasting, you want to eat. I mean, the smell of foods gets really yummy. When you're fasting, we all know that. Sometimes you have to fast because of a physical or medical reason, right? Any time we fast, man, the, 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 we just smell things that we never smelled before. And we get kind of hungry. But when you're fasting for the Lord, you prove to God that I can go through this fast because I love you. And you've called me to fast. Um, Jesus said in Mark eight thirty four, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Because of grace, a fast might be one meal, two meals, 24 hours, juices only, certain foods only, monthly, weekly, or yearly. It's been recommended during your fast, drinking liquids, when uh, you normally have your meal. So when you're fasting, it's been recommended that we're not having a meal because we're fasting, so I'm going to drink liquids instead. And in between, possibly uh, drinking liquids as well. There are some cautions regarding fasting, possibly because of health issues. Maybe you're pregnant. Maybe you're breastfeeding. You shouldn't be fasting. Maybe you're taking medication that you have to take with food. Don't fast. We have to use common sense. Um, Maybe you're diabetic. Maybe you're hypoglycemic. Many other health issues that you shouldn't be fasting. Um, As I told you, I know a woman where the doctor told her, you cannot fast under any conditions. You are not to fast. Um, And if maybe you can't fast food, there are other things you can fast from. You can fast from watching TV. Um, You can fast from different things that you restrict yourself from, different things that you enjoy. And you fast those things for a period of time as you um, draw close to God. Whatever your fast consists of, trust him to lead you and to direct you. Remember, it's a time of taking our eyes off ourselves and placing them on God. The point is less of what you're giving up and more about why you're coming to God, what you're giving to him. Fasting is declaring to God that um, he's more important than your food you eat, than your routines and your schedules. Fasting is a path to genuine humility uh, before God. 
a time of spirit-led self-examination and seeking him on the situation which you're fasting about. It's a discipline of grace. And I want you to understand that Jesus never commanded his disciples to fast. In Luke 18, verses 10 through 14, it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He said, this is the Pharisee, obviously. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector next to him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. Then there's the tax collector standing afar off. He would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. There is no evidence that the tax collector ever fasted. Yet he went away justified before God. As a Christian uh, who never fasts but has a humble and contrite heart is more pleasing to God than a Christian who fasts with self-righteousness. And we need to keep that in mind. Why am I fasting? Am I fasting to be seen of others? Am I fasting because I think God can answer my prayers better? Jesus never commanded the believer to fast. But we do read Jesus began his ministry with a 40-day fast. In the gospel, we read how the religious leaders questioned Jesus and his disciples because they had not fasted. And listen to Jesus' words in Luke 5, verses 33 through 35. He says, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, speaking of Jesus, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days, implying that that his disciples would fast, but not while Jesus was with them. Remember when we studied about a a father who brought his demon-possessed son uh, to the disciples to heal him of the demon possession? And you'll remember that they couldn't heal the young boy. And then when Jesus came, he immediately laid his hands on the boy, and um, he was able to heal the young boy. Later on, the disciples asked Jesus when they were private, when they were by themselves, Lord, why, why couldn't we heal this, this boy? And Jesus said, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So Jesus doesn't command that we, that we fast, but it is implied that we should fast, that we should fast at different times. But when and if you do fast, we must always check our motives when we're fasting. Uh, In our flesh, it's easy to think that I'm a better Christian than that person because I fast and they don't. Think again. We just read about the tax collector and the Pharisee. Um, From the Old Testament until present day, the practice of fasting has often been misused as a duty or an obligation instead of the spiritual discipline that God intended. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Um, 
the Jew had four annual fasts that they would fast four times in a year. It was customary for the Pharisees, we said earlier, to fast twice a week. And usually their customary fast took place on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And you may ask, why was it on Tuesdays and Thursdays? Tuesday and Thursdays was the market day. Everybody was out at the market day. So they would fast on Tuesday and Thursday. Guess why? So everybody could see their fast. Everybody was aware. And their appearance was sad and depressed. Jesus said they disfigured their faces. They would not anoint and wash themselves um, as they usually would do. They were unkept, filthy, and haggard on purpose. They haggardly made themselves look terrible. And some of them would be crying, and they would throw ashes upon their head. And the ashes sometimes went upon their faces, and their tear-stained faces, it made them look even worse. So you can just see them walking through the marketplaces, and everybody's just thinking, oh, my gosh, he's so godly. Look at him. He's fasting. You know what Jesus said? They have their reward. They have their reward. Why are we fasting? Why are we coming before the Lord? Fasting had been turned into a mere ritual and a show. Insincere fasting is no fasting at all. Fasting with the wrong motives is its own kind of disobedience. Jesus said again, assuredly, uh, I say to you, you have your reward. Jesus gives us guidelines on our appearance when uh, fasting. In Matthew six seventeen, it says, But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in secret and in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's why none of us will ever know when each of us are fasting, because we do it in secret, because Jesus commands us to do it in secret. He doesn't want it to be a show. A fast is to be done with an expression before God, not before man. We are not to put on a show for all to see. We are not to attract attention because of our dress and the expressions upon our faces. Philippians 2 verse 3, Paul says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. When you fast, you don't let anybody know it. True biblical fasting is not about the external act of not eating. It is about the internal work of the heart, seeking hard after God. True fasting that is acceptable acceptable to the Lord always requires humility. Humility is the submission of our heart before God. It is removing self off the throne and allowing God to be Lord of all, over everything, over your countenance, over everything. To not eat is not fasting. Fasting is abstaining from food or certain foods in order to devote ourselves to God more fully. That's what fasting is all about, to devote ourselves completely and more fully over to God. Um, Because many of us have crazy schedules with working or homeschooling or other obligations, Uh, and you can't get away to spend time alone with God, one way to spend time in prayer and fasting before God is when you have that meal time, use that meal time to be praying before God. You can do that at work. How many times? You don't have to go with the girls out to to eat when you're working or, or whatever. You can use that meal time to be praying. And our prayer time may begin with repentance, or I should say it should begin with repentance. Uh, We may pray as David 
did. And um, Lorraine shared about this last week in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Who doesn't have something to repent about? We confess and we get it right with God. Confession is agreeing with God that we've sinned. Isaiah 59, verse 2, Isaiah says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Remember, sin separates us from God. But God has so clearly taken care of that through his son, Jesus Christ. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, which opens the door of communication between you and God. After confession, you want to move into praise. Not requests and not concerns, but simply inviting God's presence with praise. I loved it tonight when we were worshiping God. We are inviting his presence through praise. Uh, Perhaps through the uh, Psalms such as Psalms 96, which depicts his glory, his greatness, his honor, his majesty, his strength, his beauty, his righteousness, his truth. There are many passages in God's word that depict God and how we can praise him and thank him for who he is and how he um, how we are so thankful for his presence in our life. After praise, we move into petition. We petition not timidly. But with faith, remembering that Jesus ever sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and I in Hebrews 4, verse 16. We boldly come before the throne of grace. It's not a time for pretty words or petty words. We are laying bare our heart's desire. Uh, We cry out with confidence and honesty with God. Uh, But always, ladies, in reverence. You may be bold. But you're boldly in reverence before God. You'll remember earlier when we looked at Moses interceding for the children of Israel in the wilderness when we, when they had sinned uh, uh, with the golden calf. Moses feared greatly. He had an overwhelming sense of the reality of the wrath of God that he sought to avert as he prayed and as he fasted. One author, one author described Moses' prayer as his heart was agonizing to save his nation. And he seemed to clasp the feet of God in the spirit of one who would not, could not leave till he obtained what he, what he sought. He boldly came and he prayed and petitioned for the children of Israel. Not with pretty words, not with petty words. He desired to go before God. Now, after we have petitioned, we now are ready to yield. And I love this. Yielding is the most important part of praying. It might seem like it's the complete opposite of the bold petition we just asked. But, ladies, it's not. It's an even more bolder and more um, confident petition. When we yield, we are actually petitioning for God's will to be done, even if it's not what we want. Don't you love that? We're petitioning before God for his will even if it's not what we wanted. Powerful prayers are powerful because they have learned the secret of yielding. And I think when the positive confession came out years ago, um, they would teach, you don't pray God's will. 
you pray with both and I just thought, wow, how horrible that is. I think about when we studied the very first lesson in this chapter, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Part of that prayer says, Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You may petition and go before God, but we always yield because God knows what's best. We're not coming to God as spoiled children. We're petitioning before God, but we're always yielded before God. Uh, Matthew records Jesus' yielded prayer in the garden, and I can think of no greater example of a yielded prayer than Jesus in the garden. In Matthew 26, verses 39 and 42, it says, He went a little further, speaking of Jesus, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you, you will. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. He's our example. He prayed with such sincerity and such a petition, yet he was yielded to the Father. Um, Our attitude as we approach the Lord in fasting and prayer is to be that of repentance, of praise, of petition, and of yielding. Again, it might work to your advantage, depending on your schedule, to pray during uh, the time that you're supposed to eat. However, it's up to you. This is something that the Lord, however the Lord works it for you. For me, I know when I'm hungry, it reminds me I need to pray. Fasting is just one more area where we seek to be obedient in our faith, and yet God turns it around as we are um, the ones that are blessed. Uh, The exercise of fasting has several manifestations. For some, it is an amazing time of you and your intimacy with God as you fast and as you pray. For others, it's a time of being obedient to that fast that God has initiated. And you're being simply being obedient to God. There may be no emotions whatsoever. I'll never forget when I was first born again, and I'd be at prayer meetings, and I would watch different ladies, and they would be crying. And, oh, God, and they were just crying about different situations. And I remember going prayer meeting after prayer. I never cried. What's the matter with me? Everybody's different. And we can't allow our walk to be like her walk and her walk to be like, you know what I mean? We're not robots. We're all so different. We're all so unique. God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us. We all have different personalities. Um, This insight on fasting is not to convict any if you've never fasted, but it is to reveal the value of fasting and praying if you should choose to enter into a fast and praying. Now, there are various reasons God's people fast. Some it's for spiritual growth intercessory prayer, spiritual warfare, obedience to a call, a response to a crisis. It could be you're praying for someone's health issues. Maybe it's a marriage, your children, job, finances. Really, the list of why a person uh, fasts is endless. But let me give you a few from God's word. In Esther 4, verses 15 and 16, the fast 
was to request God's protection. In Nehemiah 9, verses 1 and 2, the fast was in regard to a confession of sin. In Psalms 35, verse 13, the fast was in regard to humility. In Joel 1, verses 13 and 14, the fast was in regard to repentance. In Matthew 4, verses 1 through 17, the fast was in regard to ministry. And in Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, the fast was in regard to leaders for God's work. God initiates a fast, and God empowers prayer in the fast that we are engaged in. In our study tonight in Second Samuel chapter 12, it was a broken father who now through prayer and fasting seeks God on behalf of his dying child. But let's back up and learn how David got to this place. In your homework, you learn that David had sinned with Bathsheba and she conceived and was with child. To cover David's sin, he brought Uriah home uh, to Bathsheba in hopes that he would be intimate with Bathsheba, he chooses not to because of his fellow soldiers who were out in the in the line of duty working. He thought, "How can I enjoy my wife? I can't do this." And he refuses to be intimate with his wife. David then sends him back to the battlefield, where David puts him in the heat of the battle, knowing that he would be killed. David then uh, takes Bathsheba to be his wife, thinking he had success, successfully covered his sin. But, you know, the scripture says, he who seeks to cover his sin shall not prosper. Not only did David not cover his sin, but suffered incredible broken fellowship with God. And David was miserable for a time. God, in his grace, sends Nathan the prophet to David in order to expose his sin, reveal God's judgment, and restore fellowship. Through Nathan the prophet... David's sin is exposed, and he learns God's judgment. And part of that judgment would be the death of his child from Bathsheba. What we will now do is examine how David dealt with the news that his uh, child had become deathly ill. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 16 and 17, David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. In response to this sick child, David fasts and he prays. David prostrates himself on the floor as he fasts. Um, sometimes as we fast, we may be so overwhelmed by a situation where that we don't even know what to ask. We don't know how to pray. We're at a loss for words. We're grieved beyond what we can express. We're broken. Yet when we yield in our brokenness, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. And in Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now we know. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I love it. I love it. There are times we don't know how to pray. But God, through his Holy Spirit, makes groaning. Our entire prayer may be sobbing before the Lord, our crying out for help. David appears to be in this position. Have you ever been there? I have. I've been in positions where I don't know how to pray, and all I can do is cry. Hannah prayed with such brokenness she had no words. 
And Eli, the high priest, confused her brokenness with drunkenness. Prayer is not a a monologue. It is a dialogue, as Lorraine pointed out last week in her teaching. Prayer with fasting is a deep interchange between you and the Lord. Uh, This is where humility is key. When we fast and pray, we are openly surrendering to the trustworthiness of God. Did you get that? When we, pray, when we pray and fast, we are depending and trusting in the trustworthiness of God. We are declaring that he is good and his will is good. While David is still fasting in prayer, we're told in 2 Samuel twelve nineteen. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. David's servants were concerned. They realized the depths of David's anguish. Remember, they couldn't raise him from the floor. Remember earlier they tried to raise him, and he refused? David's prayer and fasting was fervent, but his prayer and fasting did not change God's judgment. What we all must understand is fasting with prayer is powerful and effective. Yet God is God. He is sovereign and just. His will alone prevails. And we read that David's child died. You'll remember in Corinthians, David, uh, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And these, the scripture says that Paul sought the Lord three times to remove that thorn in the flesh. God's reply was, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Listen to Paul's response to to, uh, his prayer. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul received his answer. It may have not been the answer that he thought he was going to receive, but he understood God's will, and that God's will is perfect. And so when we pray, when we fast, we understand that it's not always according to our will. Because many times we pray, and if we could see what God sees, we would understand that his perfect will is not to answer in the way that you want that answered. So we read that his servants were afraid to tell David because he was so distraught while praying and fasting. But David hears his servants whispering, And he sensed that the child had passed away. And David goes to his servants and he says, did the child die? And they said, yes, the child passed away. David gets up, cleans himself up, goes into the house of the Lord and he worships. Did you hear that? He worshiped. Why? Because when you worship, you're honoring God no matter what your circumstances are. We worship him regardless of our circumstances. And this is what David did. Um, remember, David previously had, had suffered broken fellowship with God. His fellowship had been restored with God. Um, and David worships the Lord. In Second Samuel 12, 20, then he went up to his own house, and when he requested, they set, they set food, and he ate. David's servants are really confused now. They, they don't get it. And in verse 21 and 22... Of Second Samuel chapter 12, it says, 
What is this that you have done? You fasted, you wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. And I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? David fasted and prayed wholeheartedly. His fast was in the face of God's rebuke and God's judgment. Even when we petition for our heart's highest desire, it must be in the attitude of a yielded heart, which is a sincere recognition of God alone knows what is best. God knew what was best, and God took the child. As much as David desired a different outcome from his sin through fasting and prayer, God's answer remained the same. David was seeking God's grace and God's mercy, and yet we see David accept God's perfect will. David understood what it was to yield to God in prayer. David, in response to his servant, stated in verse 23, But now the child is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David recognized God is not obligated to answer our prayers our way just because we fast. Always our prayer and fasting is to be open and available to the will of God. It is critical that our attitude be like Jesus. Uh, only through the Holy Spirit is that possible. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant. Uh, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Fasting is absolutely selflessness. Selflessness is critical element to humility, and humility is the means of being Christ-like. Because who are we following? Whose example are we following? We are humbling ourselves through the disciplines of fasting. While we are fasting, we confess, we repent, often with tears, and many times we're transformed while we're fasting. I can't help but think that this was David's frame of mind as he prayed and fasted before the Lord. One thing I can tell you about David is that he knew God. We see even in the devastation And the failures of David's life, he truly was a man after God's own heart, as he accepted God's answer to his prayer. Always fasting is submitting our hearts to God in humility, that we may receive just as we saw in David's example. I love it. David's a great example. In this chapter of David's life, because of his sin, he did not have fellowship with God for a time. And it was God who brought Nathan to minister to David, to which resulted repentance and a restored fellowship with God, but not necessarily averting the consequences of sin. How many times have we sinned and we've asked God forgiveness and he forgives wholeheartedly? Our relationship was restored. But sometimes we have to live with the consequences of our sin, don't we? David isn't any different. Despite the fact that the child he fasted for died, God blessed David and Bathsheba with another son, Solomon, whom God loved, we're told, in 2 Samuel 12, verses 24 and 25. Always, ladies, as we go through difficulties in our life that we don't understand, we rest in what we do understand. 
we understand that God loves us and that he died for us and that he has his best interest at heart for you and I. So if and when you decide to enter into fast, be aware that when we go into fasting, it's in all humility. It's in seeking his will above everything else. And remember, God will initiate the fast. You'll say, hmm, should I fast? I don't know. Should I? God will minister to you if you're to fast because it's something that God won't leave you alone about. And he'll continue to minister to you. This is not any kind of guilt trip that you got to fast. No, it's not. It's just one more spiritual tool that you can draw closer to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. Father, we thank you for the instruction of your word and what your word teaches us. And Lord, I just thank you for the way in which you reveal through the pages of scriptures of many, so many who fasted and who prayed and who sought you. And God, some you answered accordingly and some you denounced and you said no. And so, Lord, as we choose and if we choose to fast, give us a heart that pleases you. Give us a heart of humility to seek you above anything else. Father, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, ladies.